Well, what a great honor it is to be here. Thank you so much, Dr. Moeller, for the incredibly kind introduction. The acres that make up this campus are some of my favorite acres on planet Earth. So many special memories here, so many wonderful friendships. You know, our, our hymn says we meet to part and part to meet when earthly labors are complete. But the great news about today that was not true in Basil Manley's day is that we have text messages and FaceTime and easy air travel. And so the friendships that I made here have lived on as some of my dearest and sweetest friends um, that so encourage me in the ministry. I hope that's true of you and the friendships you're forming. I'm also incredibly blessed to be friends with so many of our faculty members. And uh, I've just been so blessed not only by their ministry as a student, but their ministry ongoing. Our church, uh, as Dr. Moeller mentioned, we are very interested in training and helping students uh, make their way into full-time vocational ministry. We have uh, an apprenticeship program uh, that I would be remiss if I didn't mention to you. I'd love to talk if anyone's looking for an opportunity after graduation or even if you have a couple credits left. We have um, a partnership with Southern uh, that you can earn some credits through uh, this apprenticeship program. I'd love to talk to you about it. And we'd love to help you train as a pastor, as a worship leader, as a counselor. Um, even the song we just sang, our, our worship pastor actually had a big part in writing that song. And um, so there's a lot of opportunities to grow at Christ's covenant. We'd love to partner with you and with Southern in that. But as I mentioned, these relationships with uh, these professors and this seminary, it's important to me because we live in a complex time a very complex age. I, I don't know that gospel ministry is harder right now than it's ever been, but it's, it's definitely more complex than it's ever been. Uh, we live in particularly where I have the opportunity to minister is a very secular place and it's a very secular age. Uh, not necessarily confessionally secular. People in large part still say that they believe in God, but we've lost our Christian instincts. We're instinctively secular. If you've read Charles Taylor, what he calls secular three, we don't live in the fear of the Lord. We don't operate as if God is there, if we'll stand before him someday. So much the worldview of our age is wrapped up in what Nietzsche said, God is dead and we have killed him, which is really a statement of human achievement, right? It's a, it's a very modern statement. It's a, it's a statement of, of human achievement. We have triumphed. We don't need God. We have killed him. We don't have to worship him or obey him. And of course, in an age like this, if there is no God, then there is no telos, right? There's no received purpose. There's no received value. There's no received identity. We have to go out and find that for ourselves. And while at first that seems incredibly liberating, go out and make your own way, go out and find your own identity, go out and find your own end, it's actually left us incredibly confused and lost and hurting. This age that you are preparing to go and pastor, especially if you're preparing to pastor in North America or in Western Europe, these people are in search of identity. And they go looking for an identity in all sorts of places. People look to sex for identity or gender or their victim story, how much they have suffered. It gets to this Greek idea of zoe, one of the Greek words for life. And it's not the word that means to be alive, it's the word that really means to have a life, an identity, a telos, an end, a purpose. And one of the places that people will go most commonly for this end, for this telos, for this life, is their work. I think this is a very important thing for us to talk about. If you understand the church 
as this living organism that both gathers and scatters. The people that you are preparing to lead, to pastor, to minister to, will actually spend a lot of their life scattered at work, doing work. And so how they work and how they understand their work and how they understand the purpose of work is very important. Now, work today, and when I say today, I mean kind of right now, 2022, 2023, it is very different than it's ever been really in my adult life. So I want to look at a very simple passage today, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. You can turn with me in your Bibles, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. I want to just try to look at two things, why we work and how we work. And of course, I'm not just talking to you as people preparing to pastor or lead workers. I'm talking to you as people who are yourselves working in Christian ministry. You know, Christian ministry is an interesting kind of work. Um, and, it's, and it can be a very insidious kind of work. You can find an identity in Christian ministry that is not in the Lord. You can actually find your identity in work, but it be in the name of God. So let's look at Colossians 3.23 and 24. The Apostle Paul, of course, writes these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So let's hear the word of Christ. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So why we work? Why do you work? Or in today's age, why do you not work? Well, in, in the modern era, in the age of enlightenment, in this age of human achievement, identity was really understood as how you achieve or how you can prove yourselves. There's many streams, obviously, in the modern era, but this idea of survival of the fittest is definitely a, a modern theme. Be the richest, be the best, be the most powerful, do the biggest thing. We want to be the fittest, we want to achieve the most. And in an era like this, work can very easily become an idol because work promises so much. And of course, an idol, something that has taken the place of God, it can be a good thing. Work is a good thing. But if we're not careful, it can become the ultimate thing in our life. Work is not ultimate. Our work is not ultimate. But it's a very inviting idol <laughs> because it promises so much. You know, it's unlike other idols. You know, if cocaine is your idol, which sadly it is for some people, it's hard to serve that idol for too long. It'll destroy your life, it'll burn you out, it'll take all your money. But work actually promises you a lot. It promises you status, it pays you money, it makes you feel important, it gives you security, it makes you feel productive. And of course, these aren't bad things. But, but it's, it's easy, if you're not careful for work, to become the thing. And again, as I said, this is even true of Christian ministry. Even the preparation for Christian ministry, what you're doing right now. Again, Christian work can be the most insidious idol of all. It can easily replace God in the name of God. And here's the deal. Idols are always this way. They, they promise us so much, but they end up taking so much away from us. They, they say that they'll serve us, but you end up serving them. So, so I'd ask you, I mean, as, as, has even your preparation for Christian ministry become an idol? It's become the thing in your life. It's become the thing that you're finding as your telos, your end, your identity. Here's a couple diagnostic questions. Do your 
Your waking thoughts go more towards your work or schoolwork than they do to the Lord. When you think about who is providing for you, you think more about your boss or your company than you do the Lord. Have you said no to your schoolwork or work recently in order to say yes to your family or the church? Our time with the Lord. Here's a great one. Can you rest? Can you stop working? Can you take time to worship and be grateful to the Lord? Or does work have such a grip on you that you always have to be on? You know, in the modern era, work, it's very easy for work to become ultimate. It's an age of human achievement. But it's interesting what's happening right now. If, if modernity is an age of human achievement, post-modernity is an age of human experience. Now, because work is so practical, right? You go to work, you earn a paycheck, it's kind of lagged behind the modern to post-modern shift. But I really believe that COVID has kind of caught work up with post-modernity. There was an article a year ago in the New York Times Magazine called The Age of Anti-Ambition. And it talked about the changing work culture in America. People are experiencing two things in work right now, the article said. On one side, it's burnout, right? People are tired, they've made work an idol, they've been overworking. But on the other side, it's this great delusionment with work. People are realizing it's not as great of an idol as they thought. And of course, COVID has really revealed this. There's a passage in the article where it says, <clears throat> one of the causes of this disillusionment is that early on in the pandemic, all of our jobs were labeled essential or unessential. And if your job is labeled unessential, you begin to ask some questions. The article says, this thing that we filled at least eight to 10 hours of the day with, five days a week for years and decades, missed family dinners for, was it just busy work? And so people used to, you know, move to places like Atlanta or New York or Chicago. But now we're seeing this shift. People are moving to Montana or Florida. And it's because people used to be chiefly identified with their work, but that's changing. People are more and more being chiefly identified with leisure or with self-care. People used to say things like, I'm hearing this more and more. People used to say things like, I'm a dentist or I'm a banker or I'm an attorney. Now people say, I'm a rock climber. Only they're not paid to climb rocks. Or I'm a musician. I hear this all the time in Atlanta. I'm a musician. But they're, they're, they're actually an Uber driver, you know. <laughs> it's their leisure rather than their work that's become their identity. So in a modern world, a world of human achievement, a world of survival of the fittest, people were hyper-identified with their work. But in this postmodern age, in a world of human experience, this world of self-care, our understanding of work has really changed. So how should Christians think about work? It's a very important thing to think about. Well, of course, we have to begin where we do with any Christian worldview, and that is that we have been made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. God has created us in his image as sacred, sacred beings, relational beings. He's given us certain functions. He's called us to be fruitful and multiply, which speaks to our lives and marriage, sexuality. But he's called us to take dominion, to work, to be God's representatives, to order the creation that he has made. And as we live this out, um, as we work this out, we, we understand rightly work. You know, it is an interesting question. Is work part of the curse or is work part of creation? In all the other ancient myths, you know, work is a curse. Work is seen as something bad. If you remember Pandora, uh, Zeus gave her this jar 
And in it was all the ills of the world. And she opened the jar and what came out? Death and disease and pain and work. Work was in the jar. The Greeks had this understanding of work that was bad, but the Old Testament has a very different view. Before sin, when everything was right in the world, when God and man were in perfect harmony with one another, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work, to work it and keep it. Work is not a result of the fall. It's a part of God's purpose in creation. God has made the man and the woman to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and take dominion. When God created the world, he created everything out of nothing. He, he formed the world. The, the account of creation is just that. God taking this earth that was without form and forming it, making beauty and order out of it. And so the, the first reason why we work, when we work, we're like God. Not many of you are gardeners, <laughs> but some of you are professors, just saying hello to some of my professors over here. You know, some of you, like Dr. Wills, you, you teach church history. How do you teach church history? I mean, how do you even begin? There's so much there. But what do you do? You take the raw material of all these facts and you order it in a way that in just two seminars, two classes, you can teach the whole history of the church. Not the whole history, but we get a grip. That's an amazing thing. And there's something that's joyous about that. that. Some of you are musicians. We just have this amazing thing. There's 12 notes and you can play songs that lift your soul. What are you doing there? You're, you're taking the raw materials of music and you're ordering it in such a way to make something right and beautiful. Some of you work at UPS. Again, what an amazing job. How do you take all these millions of shipments and boxes and get them to the right place? Well, you do a lot like what Adam did. You take dominion. You make order. You take the raw materials that God has made and order them to be something purposeful and beautiful. And that's why work is so good. It makes you feel alive because you were made to work. This is part of creation. The second reason why we work is that through work, God cares for his creation. You know, it was, how was Adam supposed to eat? He had to work. He had to garden. He, he had to do work to be cared for. And of course, not only himself, but his family. He had to build a house where they could find shelter. It was through work that he would raise offspring, that he would raise the next generation, the incredible work of parenting. And again, not many of us are gardeners, but gardening is happening. Yesterday, I ate an apple, and it was cold, and it was crisp. You know that kind of whoosh, apple sound? I got it right out of my fridge. Now, it's February. In in Apples don't normally come until like September, but somehow we have figured out how to make apples come all the year round and refrigerate them and make them cold and ship them to places like Atlanta where I can just pull them out of my refrigerator and eat them. That's an amazing care of creation that happens through a lot of different kinds of work from building refrigerators to growing apples. You know, I was thinking the other day about medicine. I have a friend who has cancer, but the cancer stays in remission because somebody worked to create a pill that he takes every day that keeps his cancer in remission. It's through work that God cares for his creation. And finally, we should work because we're commanded to work. The Sabbath command in the Bible actually begins like this. Six days you shall labor. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. We were made to work because God works. We were made to be like God. God has gifted each of you. 
He's given you gifts and capacities. He's entrusted these things to you and he, he expects you to use them. What did, what did the master say to the servant who buried the talent in the ground? You know what he said to him? He didn't say, ah, oh, you know, try harder next time. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. The second Corinthians, it ends with this warning against idleness. Don't be idle. That does not please the Lord. You were made to work. You, we, we work because God works. God, who took the raw materials of his creation and ordered them in this beautiful and good way. So on one side, I mean, work is an interesting thing. On one side, you have idleness, people not working, people finding identity and self-care and leisure. On the other side, you have idolatry, where work has become ultimate. So how do we understand all this, and how do we work? And that's really where today's passage becomes particularly helpful. Let's read it again. Whatever you do... Work heartily for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This passage is very helpful for us as we think about work because it gives us a few ways, I would say, to look. Let me give you four. First, look up. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Work comes from the Lord and work is for the Lord. We should work hard for the Lord. We should work well for the Lord. When you can break beyond the paradigm that work is for you and yourself and it's actually for the Lord, it transforms your work. You know, Dorothy Sayers has this great little essay called Why Work? And she says this, the only Christian work is good work well done. The only Christian work is good work well done. If you're a Christian, you'll do good work. You'll be productive. You'll do work that serves. The, the primary objective of your work won't be your status. It won't be your money. You, you'll actually find purpose in the work that you're doing. In the essay, she talks about how during World War II, you know, before World War II and after World War II, people would cut corners. People would do bad work. People were just trying to make money. People were just trying to inflate their status with work. But during World War II, because they so believed in the mission of what was going on, the work actually mattered. They did accounting because they needed to account for things rightly. They built things because they needed to build things well. They went and fought because they were saving their country. They, they actually believed in the bigger mission here. There was something more ultimate going on. Did you work for the Lord, doing a good job, not just to make money or to be noticed, but because what you're doing actually pleases the Lord. Christian work is good work done well. You know, people say, why doesn't the church have more influence? You know, I live in a city where, you know, I, I've pastored in different settings, as Dr. Moeller said. You know, when I was in Covington, a small town, I was pastor of the First Baptist Church there. That position actually had some notoriety or prominence. In a city like Atlanta, no pastor has any communal prominence. It's a very secular city. And people say, well, why is that? Why? Why, doesn't, why don't pastors have more external influence? But, but I want to go ahead and say, I, I'm not really concerned with external influence. You know, the influence I want to have is over the people that I've been called to shepherd, the members of Christ's covenant. And when they gather, I want to equip them for the work of ministry so that they can scatter well. And I just want to tell you about my church. They do the most amazing things. They, they work in the most amazing ways. You know, the only people that care about what I do are other Christians. But one of the members of my church, he's this heart surgeon. He's a big time heart surgeon. 
You want to talk about influence? The guy that's about to cut your heart open, you listen to him. And the best way for him to do good work and gain influence, again, not bending to the demands of a secular culture, being faithful to the Lord, but doing good work in that world, all of a sudden he has an audience with people that's enormous. When he gives the answer for the hope that he has in the Lord, they will listen to him. Doing good work well is incredibly helpful, not just to serve the world, but actually to advance the gospel. Second, we look up to the Lord. Second, we look in. Has work become an idol? Are you working for the Lord? Is your identity in the Lord or is your identity in your work? Or is your identity in some sort of self-care? I want you to hear this. The work of pastoral ministry, work of biblical counseling, the work of missions work, as wonderful as it is, was never meant to satisfy you. Only the Lord can satisfy you. Only your communion with God will make you whole and complete. And when you know God and when you abide with him, the possibilities of the fruit that he can bear in your life are truly endless. But apart from him, I mean, this is so true, you can really do nothing. If you as a minister of the Lord begin to find your identity in your ministry, rather than finding your identity in the Lord, you may produce ministry results, but the fruit of the Spirit will be far from you. Rather than having love for others, you'll only have love for yourself or your ministry. Your joy will turn to angst. Your peace will turn into fear. Your patience into irritability. Your kindness will turn into sharpness. Your goodness will turn into manipulation. Your faithfulness will turn into entitlement. Your gentleness will turn into bullying. Your self-control will turn into self-protection. It's only when the Lord is ultimate in your life that you can keep the idol of work from creeping in and taking God's fruit away from you. Work heartily for the Lord in communion with the Lord. The third call of this passage really is to look to the Lord. Work heartily for the Lord. And I would say by looking to the Lord, work for the Lord, work like the Lord. I want to go ahead and tell you something. I don't know what your idea of pastoral ministry is, but it's complex. In pastoral ministry, someone will always be disappointed with you. In local church ministry, you'll be often entering into broken, painful, and difficult situations. You just need to know that. But actually, it's amidst the pain and complexity of pastoral ministry that there is beauty. There is hope because of the power of the resurrection. It's actually in those disappointments that you have to be close to Jesus, most close to Jesus. But it's in those disappointments, it's in that complexity that I want to warn you of something. There's an idol of ease that's creeping in. And it's really just secular self-care. The Christian life is not simple. The call to follow Jesus is the call to be willing to suffer for our Lord. I don't care what people will tell you, but our Lord didn't live a simple life. He was busy. He did a lot. He entered into broken places. He was willing to suffer. Now, of course, he rested. He took time to commune with his father. He was aware of what was going on around him but he certainly didn't ruthlessly eliminate hurry. He was busy. His life was full. John tells us that if everything Jesus did was written down, the whole world wouldn't contain enough books to hold what he did. That's an amazing statement. 
I think of when the disciples of John the Baptist went to go visit Jesus in Luke 7. It says, in that hour, in that one hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. This is one hour of our Lord's life. He was tough, he was gritty, he was busy. He entered into the most difficult places. The normal meter of his life wasn't to distance himself from people, but to come close. He certainly didn't leave his pastoral work to focus on his podcast. In your ministry, especially if you're successful, there will be a pull away from the complex, away from the difficult, toward ease. And again, this is really just secularism. And it's robbing pastors and churches of intimacy with the Lord. Christians work hard like our Lord who works hard. So we look up, we look in at our heart, we look at Jesus, and, and finally we look forward. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Here's my question. Are you really working for the Lord in your schoolwork, in your ministry, in your other jobs? You know, the, the, the verse that's changed my life, John 1, 4, in him was life. In him was life. Where is life? It's in Jesus. In him was life. In him is life. Is Jesus your life? Or are you searching for a life somewhere else? Are, are you going to work or to ministry or to the good grades that you make or whatever it is for a life or an identity? Is Jesus your life? You know, if you go to work for a life, you may work hard, but you better get that raise. You better be praised or you'll be distraught because work is your life. But if you go to work with a life, with a life in the Lord, you'll be able to work hard as unto him and for the good of others. If you go to work looking for a life, you'll never be able to rest because work is your life. You can't turn it off. You, 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 you gotta keep going because work is your life, it's everything. But, but if God is your life, if Jesus is your life, you, you can rest, you can trust him, you can worship, you can realize that, look, I don't have to work because everything actually comes from the Lord. I can stop for a day. If you go to work looking for a life, you'll always be cutting people off, making sure you're seen, making sure you're praised. But if you go to work with a life, you can actually have others outpace you, be more successful than you, and be happy for them. If you go to work looking for a life and something goes bad, you'll be undone. You'll be crushed. But if you go to work with a life, when something bad happens, you'll be sad, but you'll trust God and his purposes. Don't you see? Who are you working for? What are you working for? What is your life? What is your inheritance? You know, work's a really bad idol. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you right now, it's a really bad idol. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna go work, you're gonna go serve some company, you're gonna go serve some church for years and years and years. You're gonna give everything for it, you're gonna miss meals for it. And then you're gonna retire and you go back just a few years later and everybody will forget who you were. That's the inheritance that most jobs give you. They'll be enamored by the new cool pastor that's there. And the other reason that work is a bad idol is that we're all bad workers. <laughs> None of us are perfect. We're all flawed. All of our work doesn't honor creation rightly. You know, even our best work, even our purest ministry is stained by sin. But there is one who perfectly worked for us. You know, the good news of the Christian gospel is that we're not justified by our work. We're justified by the perfect work of Jesus. Most people are out there enslaved. 
They're trying to justify themselves by their work. They're trying to do something that will justify themselves. The, the freeing news of the gospel is that we have been freed in the love and mercy and forgiveness and life of Jesus. We can trust in his perfect work, that he perfectly lived, he perfectly died for our sins, and now he lives again. In him you are free. You're justified by his perfect work. In him is life. Hear this. Hear this. In him is life. In him is life. You can go out working, making a name for yourself, or you can go work to make a name for him. Be free in him. And when you are, you can say with George Whitfield, when he was asked if he was concerned that John Wesley would be more remembered than him, he said, let my name be forgotten. Let me be trodden under the feet of all if Jesus may thereby be glorified. Free in Christ. In him is life. Let's pray. Father, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few those that really want to labor I pray Father that the men and women here would have such an identity in Christ that they would desire to labor for you heartily working for you not for men not for some earthly inheritance but for the inheritance that can never be taken away Lord turn our hearts to the joy of Jesus today as we work, as we live. It's in his name and for his sake I pray.